can't believe you finally getting this interview, it man. It took so long, bro. It was finally working. Yeah, Dapper Dan. I can't wait, man. This is exciting. Woo. Dapper Dan. Yeah, Rap Radar Podcast, Elliot Wilson. This is B-Dot. Dapper Dan, man. I can't believe it, man. From Queens to Harlem, here we are. Are we Gucci? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, this book is a page turner, man. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, man. It needs to be a bestseller, man. It's going to be a great interview, man. I'm excited. We in Harlem, man, to see this man, the legendary. Yes. Dapper Dan. I had to put my good clothes on for him. Yeah, <laughs> you asked a lot of questions in this book, man. Congratulations. Yes. How does it feel to have this book finally out, man? What was that process like? The main reason like, I wanted to do this book is because I'm the last generation to uh, grow up in Harlem and see Harlem before there was a drug epidemic. Mm. To see Harlem when 11 o'clock Sunday morning, you see everybody coming out their houses going to church. To see Harlem when everybody go in their buildings and all the doors is open. To see Harlem when anybody, all the adults could stop you in the street and say, ain't that Lily Day, son? And you'd be embarrassed if you was doing something wrong. So that's what this book is about. This book is like to tell a story by a guy who comes from the corner. Yeah. Who's trying to find a way to keep young men from getting stuck on the corner. Like I was, you know? Yeah. Because I tell the young guys in my neighborhoods, the hardest graduation they may ever have in their life is graduating from the corners. Mm. Yeah. Why was it now the right time to write it, though? With this platform, a lot of people are paying attention to me, especially mm -hmm. young people. Right. So it's the ideal way to reach them. Yeah, you've, you've had an amazing year, right? I mean, already this book is going to be adapted into a film also, right, with Gerard Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, it's going to be adapted to film. Man. You don't know, like, um, I'm in a dream state. <laughs> and I tell my friends, I say, man, look, you're in the underground for 20 years. <laughs> yes, sir. Built the underground. And yeah, right? in the underground. You, you know, you're going, from gangster, you're going from gangsterhood to gangsterhood. I'm traveling, like, from New York to Chicago, hitting every ghetto, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? Then come back and go from New York to Atlanta, hitting all the ghettos, to stay afloat. Then all of a sudden, you got a partnership with Gucci, mm. a book deal with Random House, wow. and a movie deal with Sony Pictures. <laughs> you can't write that. Dapper Dan, baby. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, man. And like I tell yeah. everybody, if you pinch me, <laughs> and I wake up, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Did anybody want to kill you? Because reading the book, it's a page turner. Like, a lot of the stories is, like, really personal. Your family, your friends, did they have any uh, reservations about the stories that you told? No, because, you know what? That's a good question because this is what happened, right? I said, man, I got to be, I got to, I got to, I was, like, reluctant to, to say a lot of things. Mm, yeah. Now I'm walking around and they say, Dap, I heard you got a book, man. I better be up in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was the opposite reaction. Right. They want that I shot, thought people yeah. would be mad with their name being up yeah. in there. Right. And I avoided, you know, a lot of people. I said, they're mad because they're not up in there. <laughs> <laughs> that was my look. Yeah, right, man. man. It's like, come on, man. You know, you, Dap, you know I was that real dude yeah, now. Right. So quit playing, man. What chapter I'm in? <laughs> but I thought it was interesting about the book. Like, obviously, you know, you were such a part of building the whole foundation, what we call the golden age of hip hop and fashion. But that's, a, to me, that's maybe like 25% of the book. Really, the majority of the book is really about your journey. Yeah. And you being super personal about every aspect of that. Was, why yeah. was that so important? Hip hop and fashion is grounded in culture, mm -hmm. you know? 
what what hip hop is has done today is the outgrowth and the stories they want to tell and the experience they want, it's the outgrowth of my experience. You know, right. I'm the first generation of the great migration. Yeah. You know? This is this is where it starts. Yeah. It starts with us. The yeah. first that first generation of the great migration, you know, that here, this inner city thing. Yeah. So the stories start with us. So I wanted to, them to know the genesis yeah. of what this all is. What they're feeding off. Because they're all yeah. feeding off it, whether they're conscious of it or not. Well, growing up in the 80s, like being, how much of a fan of hip-hop was you before you started working with these rap stars like LL Cool J? Were you invested in the culture in terms of the music and loving it before? I watch, I watch it develop. Like um, A lot of guys, like you got to look at um, what they call hip-hop per se. I've been trying to nail that down anyway. Because I remember uh, we had a club on 125th Street. Um, Charles's gallery, mm-hmm. and um, that's when the first time I ever saw this kind of music, what you would call right. hip hop today, yeah, yeah. experience. Like, and guys would come in there and say, "Yo, man, can I get on the mic?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is like in the seventies. Yeah, so I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like in the sixty, late sixties, going into seventies. Mm-hmm. Like, um, right before Hollywood Harold and all of them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Right before we became part of. It was still like a house party type of thing. Yeah. And clubs was just starting. And that's the first time I saw it. And then I just saw it develop, develop, develop until it just it just took took off in the Bronx. Mm. Yeah. Took off in Absolutely. the Bronx. Because when I was growing up, you couldn't go in the Bronx, you know? They had, <laughs> really? they had Irish gangs up there. And you were part of a crew too. You talk about that in your in your book. The souls and uh all the crews that you was down with. When you talk about gangs from back in the day and gang culture from back in the day. There has been, we never lost one person to violence. Mm. Never once. Mm. There's nobody who grew up with me got killed from gang violence. Right. Not one. So it's a different thing. And you might hear, you don't even hear it no more. They say, some guy have a, a problem with somebody else. They say, can I get a fair one? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, and She's then the you fight, one. and then when the older guys say you got enough, they say, "Okay, that's it, man." Call it both, off. Yeah. You both prove your men. But was it like growing up in that era when you were surrounded by gangsters? Like you mentioned, as a kid, seeing Bumpy Johnson, you know, you was okay. Making- Let's don't get it confused. These young guys today use the word gangsters. I grew up with racketeers. There's a difference between gangsters mm. and racketeers. Mm. You know, racketeers like they into like bootlegging. Bootlegging liquor, mm-hmm. bootleg liquor. <laughs> um, they're into the numbers game, right? You know, the confidence game, things like that. There, this uh, this new concept came as what we call this G thing. It's an outgrowth of um, drug culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you dealt with outfitting the dealers of that of that era, though. Like besides the rap stars, Alpo, the, the famous hustlers that we know of, all yeah. got their gear from you. Yeah, they get their credit because of the nature of the time. In, in particular, Alpo. Alpo ushered in. He just came along at the same time hip-hop was beginning to spread. Mm-hmm. So he was the first <clears throat> fly guy for them, for right. that generation, mm. you know? You but each the, generation had what we call, uh, like you hear me talk about, a boy wonder. Yeah, the boy wonders. Yeah, man. <laughs> those, those are the guys who set the pace. Each generation had that guy who everybody talked about because they was really fly. Who do you think he, is like the boy wonder of this generation? Uh, the boy see it shifted mm. because each generation had um, a time when money was flowing. Now a drug dealer, man, you know, we don't have like kingpin drug dealers back then, mm. like mm. they had back then, you know. So now 
if you was talking about a boy wonder in Harlem now, everybody's kind of like low key. Mm. Nobody's getting that kind of money where they can stand out that way. Mm. There's not nobody I can call out right now that yeah. everybody say I want to dress like him. Yeah. That shifted to the rappers now. Yeah. Right? And you said at the beginning you enjoyed something about the personal rapport, like because the part of what made your style so great is you really connected with these people that you that you tailor clothes for and created clothes with. And you had said in the book how much you you sort of connected more with the rappers than talking to the hustlers. Yeah, Why yeah, yeah. I I like the shift because I like I like what was happening. There was this thing with you know, especially when rap started, mm-hmm. there, it, it didn't have that the same kind of nature. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't understand how drug culture is and what it does. It it implodes, mm. and I didn't see that happening with rap. Mm. I didn't see the death call. Mm. You know, with gangsters, you see them every day, and you hearing you hearing stories from both sides. Yeah, people coming all the way. Yeah, we know what we're getting ready to do. You know how many we done did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that didn't happen. You know, it was like it was a a comfortable shift. Yeah, you know that's before gangster rap came in. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that we're talking turned, like the yeah, right, yeah, 80, that, that turned eighty-two everything. to ninety-two. Then it then yeah. it got like that. You yeah, know? yeah. But yeah. somebody like you connection with Uncle Jay, you kind of took you guys working together with the magnitude of his stardom. So now you're taking something that was more New York based and you feel like it's going nationwide, worldwide. Yeah. Did you feel exactly. that connection? Like now LL Cool J was kind of like someone who helped bring your fashion to a more of a wide mass audience? Yeah, definitely LL. And you know, the interesting thing about LL is like I was doing, before I got ready, I was just transitioning him. Because, mm. you know, it was, what was they called? It was called B Boys. Right. And then I was just shifting. If you see how LL was dressing, mm. like from the uh, like the the logo outfits I was making, yeah. then I was getting him more shifting him towards how I dress. Yeah. And you see him going to it with like these silk outfits with the shoulders <laughs> and the collars and the LL right here. Yeah. So I say LL, we going we starting this thing, man. Get out of the we're going from and all that. Yeah. No, we're going from B boy to B man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did a we did a uh, we did a shoot like that there with a with, with Ted Demi and everything. Yeah, yeah, you know I didn't get a chance to really move in on it like that because, bam, I got raided. You know, yeah. right? I had to go underground. But before Who's, that, you was the father of Logo Mania. Explain that. What do you mean when you say that? Everybody has aspiration, so they're aspirational garments, right? Mm. Aspirational things that if you got that, you arrive, right? Mm. So, in terms of clothes and cars and diamonds that's what it was i knew that i couldn't go into the diamond game because it was too lucrative you know too much to too much bigger investment so i started with furs right because i knew gangsters want everybody want to look first but i needed something else as like a cash crop mm. a guy came in the store one day and he had a, a in fact this is a really important guy his name was um jack jackson Jack Jackson is the one who told on um, John Gotti's brother, Gene Gotti. So mm-hmm. if you see me in the in the uh, video with uh, Pee Wee Kirkland, we walking through Harlem, you see me hold up a, a newspaper, and on the headline in that newspaper is Harlem Connection. Mm-hmm. What I was saying in that newspaper, this was the end of the Italians controlling drugs in Harlem mm-hmm. when they busted Jack, and Jack ended up telling on John Gotti, right? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, Jack and um, Jack came in the store one day and he had like a Louis Vuitton pouch, pouch right? Pouch. Like a little yeah. pouch, yeah. yeah. Filled with hundred dollar bills. <laughs> everybody, you know, everybody wants to see what Jack pulling out. And I, and, I, and I looked at that bag and I saw how everybody got excited about that bag. So I had already been studying religion and and symbolism and stuff like mm-hmm. that. 
I said, what is it about the bags? I said, it's the logo. Mm. That's the only thing that made that different from any other bag in the world. I said, it's the logo. Mm. Yeah. I said, if they got that excited over that logo, imagine if I could have them walking around looking like bags. <laughs> <laughs> and you said Louis, right. Louis V didn't make clothes, Gucci didn't make jackets. That's none crazy. They didn't make it before you came around. Yeah, none of them. So now, here's what I'm thinking. If I can get the same kind of energy, financial energy, out of logos that I got out of furs. Mm. So there's a luxury transference. Mm. So they are relating to logos the way they will relate to furs and diamonds, right? So I expanded on that, you know? So I started making garments with logos all over. You know, the brighter the diamond, the bigger the diamond, right? Right. The more it costs. Yeah. <laughs> so you know how many, how many letters you want? <laughs> <laughs> who were your style icons growing up? Like, who were your muses that you looked up to fashion-wise? Fashion-wise, it was uh, like uh, it was a guy called um, Pee Wee Hammond, mm -hmm. the famous basketball Joe Hammond, Joe his Hammond. uncle. Okay. Wow. Well, he was the flyest guy I ever see. In Harlem, at one point, it was the it was these guys from out of Georgia. They called them the, the Georgia Boys, and um, it was a whole group of them. They was really fly. Mm -hmm. and in the, but before them came um, Joe Hammond. But there was a. You know, everybody from Harlem was from somewhere else. Yeah. Doing I was growing up. It was from different parts of the South. So uh, the Georgia boys was like, they was really, really fly. Yeah. And, and the, the head guy of the, Georgia, of the Georgia boys is the one that I padded my street life from. Mm -hmm. His name, I, Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, he was amazing. You know, it's like his ability to hustle hmm. was, yeah. was crazy. What made me gravitate towards Joe Jackson is that every, they called him Gentleman Joe Jackson. Mm. Everybody in Harlem respected him. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. Everybody. And he was like a master pool player. <laughs> he, is a, he was a master Mac man. He could sing girls cross country yeah. <laughs> playing con game. Yeah, and um, everybody looked up to Joe Jackson. And he was an amazing gambler. Mm. Yeah. And when, um, when I was coming up, all the, all the master hustlers that I came in contact with all of them got high. Mm. And when I noticed that Joe Jackson, he didn't smoke, he didn't drink, mm. he didn't get high, I said, that's it, that's the missing <laughs> key. He was the street version of Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Gotcha. He didn't do that, none of that there, man. So I said, oh, that's it. So if I'm going to be a street demon, I'm going to be like Joe. Well, you right. was a hell of a demon because I was reading this book. I was so fascinated that you were so good at dice. Oh, yeah. Like playing CeeLo. <laughs> still got that? You still got it? I was it? trying to man. find some dice and see if you still got it. Man, I got it, man. You ask him. Man, I broke everybody. <laughs> I broke everybody. What was your technique, Dad? Because I used to play CeeLo and sometimes I get head cracked, sometimes I would ace out. So you, 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 sometimes you felt lucky, sometimes you didn't feel lucky. <laughs> Pretty much. Then that's why you lost. Ain't no such thing as luck. Right. It's mathematics. Mm, mm. You know, I played the mathematics. When you hear the guys in Harlem talk about me, you say, Dap never shot the dice. I give them mathematical propositions. Mm. You know, so you play CeeLo, right? Yeah. I would bet you don't beat the deuce twice. Sounds easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, or oh, I bet you can't five or better. I'm going to give you a mathematical... Uh, 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 the probabilities of things. Yeah. Right. The law of probability. Go. That's it. So I studied like, ev first, everything I learned in the street, I utilized that. Mm. But then I went and bought books by the foremost authorities on gambling. And that was like mm. John Scani. I read mm. everything he put out. You know, and then I read books on the percentages mm. so that I would know that. And so like people think they're gambling when they go to uh, 
Las Vegas and play on the gambling table. But what you what the reason the, the casinos always lit because they have a vigorous. Like say on one side of the table, if you bet the dice on five, you you bet straight up. On the other right. side, they, they gotta lay they lay odds. So in between that, there's a vigorous, right? Mm. <laughs> so this is how I do, right? Say, oh, here, here, here's the proposition. Say I have a a, a a three-sided cube. Okay. My intention, what I have to do, is to get you to bet that you can't throw one of the sides, mm. right? So that means you got one side, I got two sides. You understand? Okay. And, but I, but you, you gotta understand the lower probability has to kick in. I would never bet like say if you had a million dollars, right? And it was like say ten numbers, mm-hmm. and I tell you I'm gonna give you a million, ten million for your million if you pick the number. I would never do that. Right. I tell you, you got to keep picking the number. They're going to you from Vegas. We'll break it down in, 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 in proper proportion right. so that the lower average can kick in. Right. So it's, it's based on probability. What, what can't you and do I that? Studied what that. can't you do that? Like, like you're a man, scientist, man. You know what? I mean, when I was coming up, it's, my life has been about tools. This is the person who I've always was destined to be and would want to be. Mm-hmm. But when you grow up poor and stuff, the first thing I learned, my father was the only one who had a job. All my uncles, everybody, all the males that I knew in my community that I looked up to were hustlers. Mm. So you use the tools from these people to survive. So they were survival tools. So when you see me driving down these different lanes in my life, it's Mm. because I'm switching. I'm switching games, switching games, switching games, switching games like that. The paper game, you know, the crap game. You know what I'm saying? Everything that I ever gotten. You were the first swipe of that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But taking it back to hip hop for a second, when I, when I think of some iconic images, I wanted to get your take on the whole thing behind, you know, iconic cover, Eric B and Rakim, paid in full. Mm. Like you talked about the logos before, like how important was that, and how did you come up with what did you want to create? And that's an guys? important, that's an important album cover because with Eric B and Rakim, <clears throat> you see the the personification of personalities through emblems. Mm. You see on the back of uh, Rakim's. He got the five percenters, yep. You know, and Eric B got the Gucci sign. Mm. You know, so that 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 signaled like, and let everybody know, Dabba Dan, you can have it your way. Mm-hmm. You know, and people just they know me for the logos, but if you see like some of the things I did downstairs, like say Jungle Brothers, mm. they was into Afrocentric stuff, so I made them stuff in in red, green, and black. Mm. And Boogie Down Production, they, they got into this thing where they was doing like um, reggae, this reggae type rap. Right. So I made them clothes in um, the roster colors. Yeah. So I did all the kind. And then Salt and Pepper with, with, with tour jackets. It was like a lot of diversity in what I was doing. Yeah. But it's just that the, the stuff with logos it just was like took yeah. off. Was there anything you wouldn't do for a customer? I wouldn't produce, I wouldn't never ever would make anybody. Any clothes with gang symbols on them. Mm. That yeah. you you will never see nobody with a garment that Dapper Dan made that had flags on it. Yeah, right. you know? But it did get controversial. You did make some bulletproof. Uh, oh yeah, I had. I, 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 I get you protected. <laughs> <laughs> Protect your yeah, neck. Yeah, 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 I get you protected. Also, there are certain little pockets where you can hide certain pockets. things. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I had all of that there, but uh, I got in trouble with that though, because uh, one day uh, for about. Some like in fact, New York Jack was on the investigation. Uh, the DEA used to park across the street all the time, right? For maybe three weeks, I ain't get no customers. I had to go over there and tell them, I said, "Listen, everybody know who you are," mm-hmm. and, that's, <laughs> and that's a thing I learned about DEA. 
And when you see them, it's over. Mm. They're just wrapping up the small stuff. Wow. <laughs> so I went over to talk to them, everybody know who you are, and they laughed and drove away. But when they came back looking for the guys that they want to pick up, they said, oh, you that wise guy. You the one be making all that bulletproof stuff for them, and we got to come get them. <laughs> so what they was telling me that uh, we don't like what you're doing. Right. So that's why I had to stop that after a certain time. You said yeah. the story was a heavy psychological toll on you, right? And you was open for nine years, never closed. 24 hours. 24 hours. Yeah, 24 hours, man. I had that bill of apartment in the back so I, my kids can come spend the night with me sometime. It, it, the store itself, if you involved in the culture, I grew up in the culture and grew out of the culture. There's layers of culture in Harlem. You know what I'm saying? There's spiritual layers, there's gang layers, you know, mm-hmm. it's just all these different kind of layers, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you start making that transition, you start rejecting certain stuff. Like to be in some nights I sit in there and hear guys discuss murder. Mm-hmm. You know? And you say to yourself, damn. This this, you know? And then I'm reading spiritual stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? So it's hard it was hard to live with that, man. Right. It's hard to live with that, man. And, and I talked about this earlier. If you've been around as long as I have, you know this culture that they call gangster culture and all that, it implodes. Mm-hmm. And you might hear me say, like, you can't be in it and not of it. Mm-hmm. So although I'm not participating in that activity, I'm right in the midst of that activity, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And it implodes. So now you know everybody was making a lot of money off crack, right? Then when it oversaturation. You know, when the cartels got into it, they start flooding Harlem. Mm. So the flood of the drugs in Harlem created this enormous amount of competition. Mm-hmm. And this was detrimental not only for Harlem, but from the small towns that we came from in the South. And this is very important. The strong ones could take over neighborhoods. You know, and if the strong ones wasn't getting any money, then the wars would start. Mm. You know, and the wolves are so. The weak ones, you know, like when we got in trouble when we was young, our parents would say, I'm sending you back down south. <laughs> you know, I'm sending you back down south. But this is the uh, uh, detrimental twist took place. The weak ones who couldn't make it here say, Damn, I can make a killing if I go down south. Mm-hmm. So they got on the road and started going down south. Mm-hmm. And that's when messed up where we came from. Mm-hmm. So now there's no haven for the escape. And it, and that went down there. But so, and in Harlem, as the proliferation of the drugs took place and the wars took place, then you had the kidnappings yeah. and the murders. Yeah. So I'm right in the midst of that. A week took place, they tried to kidnap this guy in front of my store, right? And it was unsuccessful. And now I gotta make a judgment. I'm watching them ki- getting ready to kidnap me. Do I call the police or mind my business? So I'm a product or the environment. Right. Mm. So even though I think I'm not in it, I'm still of it. Yeah. And I'm watching this take place, right? So he's a desperate guy. So I say nothing. The next week they tried to kidnap me and I got shot and got a bullet in my neck. To this mm. day. Yeah. Right. And so that's what happened. If you are in it, you think you can't be of it, but you are of it. Yeah. You know? And uh and I say this earlier, like when that happened to Nipsey, I got flashbacks. Because mm. here's a guy who changed his life, had nothing to do with it, and it's the same thing. Mm. 
you know it, it, it comes back at you so you gotta just like remove yourself from it for a while yeah. you know what I'm saying because if you interacting with it it implodes right mm. you know it implodes Absolutely. and that's exactly that's exactly what happened to him exactly he didn't have nothing to do with that he's away from that culture the same way as I was right, away right. from that culture it's a miracle that I'm not dead I'm carrying a bullet in my neck right. you understand what I'm saying yeah. So like my friend Pee Wee, he don't have nothing to do. He ain't talking to nobody who's about that. He's not engaging in any activity that would bring that kind of a negativity around him. You know what I'm saying? So if you're around the negativity that creates that kind of climate, no matter what your intentions are, you fall subject to the demons. Yeah. You know? And, I, and so it's the same thing, man. I, that's like, it hit me like a brick when I saw that. I said, damn, here it is again, man. Right. Here it is again. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You just gotta, you gotta like, you gotta get away from it. Yeah. You can't talk it with nobody. You can't engage nobody. I had problems with that, man. I, I, I went to a thing for Puff Daddy apartment one time. A friend, been a friend of mine. He said, yo, that man, you've been disrespecting me for six months now. What you talking about? You won't accept none of my calls? And I said, listen, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to hear nothing about that life. Mm. I don't want to be involved in that yeah. life. You know, I just got away. I just like went in. And that's what it is, yeah. man. Right. And if you got a brother, you got to say, I tell my, my brother, if I got a brother, if I got a cousin, I say, anybody else, I say, man, I'm not messing with you, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, because you, you leaving them doors open for things to happen to you, you know? But back in the more front front, like in the back of the days, though, even when you first was in the mix, though, you was more selective of who you was social with outside of giving them outfits and stuff like that. But you and Mike Tyson built a real friendship, right? You said you guys would hang yeah, out socially. Mike, Mike was incredible, man. And like, I can't wait till I have a, you know, I haven't spoke to Mike since the store closed. Really? Wow. That's a long time, right? It's over 20, 30 years. Mike, Did you see the pictures in the book, That right? was crazy. Yeah, can we, we talk never... about that? Like, so you, so the, everybody knows that we've heard of the infamous Mike Tyson, Mitch Green fight yeah, yep. at the Dapper Dan store. Can you explain, and there's pictures? Like, the book has I didn't pictures. know that there were pictures existed until I saw the book. Man, it's a big story behind them pictures, man. You know I know the street. You know I know the con game. And if you look at the trajectory that Mike went through, <clears throat> suing his friends, suing everybody around him. And I watched how everybody around him was playing him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm seeing this, I say, damn, damn. And then when the, fight, when the fight broke out, the newspaper reporters offered me up to $115,000. It was a bidding war between Star, you know, the, the Star, Star yes, yeah, Star, and yeah. the Inquirer. Wow. <laughs> it was a bit more. Before the they internet. Before the internet. <laughs> yeah. Before the internet. They paid me $1,500 just to see if the pictures existed. Just yeah. to see them. The bit more started. My nephew, who took the pictures now, he said, Dad, we can get $115,000. They didn't want to $115,000. That don't even count European distribution. You saw them pictures, right? Yeah. You saw them pictures? I saw it. I didn't know they existed. I had them pictures for like 25 years. Wow. And, and, so and this I'm, is out of your respect for yeah, Mike also, I, right? I yeah, guess, because yeah. I knew that if, them, if I showed them pictures, Mike was going to get sued for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Mike was so young and inexperienced at the time. I said, I said Mike, I got these pictures. I ain't going to show them, though. He said, sell them. But he didn't know. <laughs> right. He didn't even, he didn't understand. I'm going to have a big conversation with Mike about yeah. the pictures too. Man. Talk about that. But like, people that don't know, like, what a phenomenon what the, when Mike Tyson came into the game. Yeah, that like, changed the course of my whole... Yeah. He was running around with Naomi Campbell. I don't know. Right. And re- you know, looking back, yeah, he came, he came to the store with Naomi Campbell. And Miss America, the, the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mike, Mike was a hell of a dude, man. He, he generated a lot of excitement. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it's just that after Cuss died, everything changed. Cuss the model. Cuss the model, yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about the people. I'm not going to talk about going into the deep until mm-hmm. I get around Mike and me yeah, and him yeah, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Is it fair to say he was your best customer? It depends how you look at it. He was, <laughs> he was the best and the worst. Because <laughs> he did shut it down. <laughs> right. His fight, his fight brought all the attention yeah, right at the end of the day. That caused me to get shut down. How and was, it was Fendi that went after you, right, at first? They, uh, uh, Louis, Fendi, and MCM. Mm-hmm. Gucci they laid are, off? That's why we're Gucci now. <laughs> no, no, no. Gucci, Gucci didn't come at me. They never got a chance. The other oh, wow. ones was too busy on me. Yeah, um... <laughs> But Fendi was the most aggressive behind MCM because you know MCM took off because of LL. Mm-hmm. But uh, Fendi was the most aggressive because Sotomayor, who became one of the um, Supreme Court justices, justices of the Supreme yeah. Court, she was the lead attorney for Fendi. Right? Right. Yeah. So um, I never forget when she came for the raid, came in the store. She saw this coat I had just made for Big Daddy Kane, mm. Black <laughs> Pongee. That was the old coat. The, right. Kane, the Big Daddy all Kane coat was over. Black, black glamour collar and everything. She said, "Wow, this guy, this guy's, this guy belongs downtown." Mm. Yeah. yeah, she ain't take me. She took all my stuff downtown. <laughs> <laughs> How much did for an average? What was the price for a Dapper Dan ensemble back in those days? A budget one, a velour suit was the budget ones. Okay. That would cost you eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. And that was the cheapest thing, Lemon. Unless you wanted a visor. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. was the most expensive piece that you made? Uh, the most expensive piece would be the. Um, I made jackets like Louis Vuitton, and then when you flip it over, it's all mink, mm. reversible. And those ran up to like seven thousand, six thousand. Everyone loves the Apple snorkel, and there was another picture of Apple. It had like it was at a club. It had the matching hat. Yeah, 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 that and was- the espadrilles. <sighs> But yeah. you, but you would lend clothes out too, like you said, Andre Harrell, like in the early days of Uptown with him and Puffy. You yeah. had the, they had the bar clothes for Mary J. Blige and Joe Desi. Yeah, man, Andre Harrell. Andre Harrell was like um, a big asset. Andre got it, you know, he yeah. really got it. When he started out, he had a, like a little uh, office in Brooklyn, and I used to go out there. But you know, Andre Harrell and the rappers didn't have money. It took a while mm. for them to get money. That real Because Andre, yeah. uh, I used to loan them. Loan them clothes, you know. Yeah. Some rappers still owe me money. I, I promise I won't call them out no more. <laughs> no, you did you the book. LL Teddy, Cool J. Said Teddy yeah, Riley. Oh, Teddy, Teddy, yeah, Teddy yeah. Riley, LL, and BDP. Yeah. So that's yeah. Karis one. Yeah, yeah. Pay Dapper's money, yo. Yeah, <laughs> tell him. You gotta tell battle you back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can, la- we can laugh about it, but kick it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all Gucci down, literally, though, Dap. I mean, last year, it was two years ago when that whole controversy happened, when, uh, the, the, the inspired piece hit the runway, hit the blogs. What was your thoughts of that when it first happened? You know, I probably was the one least affected psychologically for that because I had been seeing it all along. People just wasn't conscious of it. Harlem knew. That's why they got called out. Mm. You know, but uh, I said, damn, they, you know, it wasn't on social media. Just social media just came about. So I didn't know that Black Twitter could have that much power. Right. Oh, when they first yeah, when they first saw it, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know anything about that. I just thought that they was gonna keep being able to appropriate different brands and different people be able to appropriate, and not, nothing I could say. Mm. But when I came out and Black Twitter kicked in and social media and, helped yeah, bring the connection man. with you, and, yeah, and, yeah, and that was like amazing. I said, "What?" And um, you were kind of like used to it at this point. Like, oh, they just gonna rip me off again. Like, yeah, yeah. I okay. never thought that I'd be able to profit from my creativity yeah. I thought it was like a far stretch mm. but you know um, but then Steve Stout 
stepped in too. I hope bridge the connection between you and Gucci. Um, well, my son was the primary force behind uh, that. Jelani, you know, I just, Jelani. Yeah, Jelani was the primary force behind that. But you know, other people stepped in after that. Okay. But my son is the one who negotiated the deal. Yeah. My son is the one who they reached out to and talked to. That. I just didn't. I just didn't. You know, go into it. You know, mm. I said, I told my son, yeah. don't worry about it. You know. I think but yeah, he the one that did what that. What B was more referring to was the the blackface incident. Like how oh, the you, black you stepped up and you kind of held them uh, Gucci point, accountable for their actions in that yeah, case, that's, right? Yeah, that's point two. Right. We just yeah. left point one. <laughs> okay, yeah, point two was like um, the blackface. You know, when you, you when you look at it, the blackface definitely, in my opinion, wasn't something that was an intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, because I studied like uh, Alexandro, what his intentions was, mm-hmm. what his experiences was his relationship to fashion and how it should be carried out or done, and as well as Marco. So I know it wasn't intentional, but when you're getting involved in being creative and you're using elements of other people's culture, mm-hmm. it's easy to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So that was it. But mistake or not, regardless to what you might think of what happened, whether you think it was intentional or unintentional, it's like if you shoot somebody by accident, or you shoot them on purpose, they're still dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have to deal with the fact that they're dead. Mm-hmm. So it happened, so we have to deal with the fact that it mm-hmm. happened, you know? So I told Gucci, I said, listen, I'm a black man before I'm a brand. You gotta come to Harlem and explain what this situation is. Mm-hmm. And they came, and they sat down, and what I did was, I had like all the people that I could gather together, mm-hmm in the corporate world, people who are responsible for corporate inclusivity, people who have dealt with issues like this before, people who have knowledge of how corporations work and things like that. And I gathered them together with Gucci and we ironed out this thing on how they should approach the problem. Mm -hmm. So so today we have what's called the change makers. Mm -hmm. So what the change makers do is they're gonna see that a Gucci appropriates money for different programs, you know, have uh, recruit young designers up and down the ladder, yeah. straight up and down the ladder. So we got this big Gucci corporate inclusivity, not just as designers, yeah. but in, in every facet of the business. Yeah. So that's a good thing that happened as so you a result turn the negative of a bad into a positive, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's hard getting the message out. But um, what Gucci is doing is a great thing. In fact, it's so important for us to have a foothold in luxury branding because mm-hmm. we don't yes. have that, right? Right. That's so important. And so I'm thinking that when everybody sees what's going on with Gucci, we can move this program to other big luxury brands. Mm-hmm. You see, as soon as Gucci came and got me, right away, Louis Vuitton went and got Virgil. Vir- Virgil so something Virgil. is happening. Yeah. Yeah. We can't stifle what's happening. Mm. If you don't interpret what's happening in the right way, you can set us back. Mm-hmm. We have to forge ahead with what we're doing with Gucci and take it to other brands. We should not back up. Because if we back up in terms of this boycott, this would be the first boycott ever by people of color in America that has zero accomplishments. Right. We've always used boycotts as a means to get in, mm-hmm. not to walk away from, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm happy with the changes so far, and I, I advise everybody to go online. You can go on my Instagram and pull out the information and read everything about 
Gucci change makers and see if they're happy with mm. what they see. After you got raided and was shut down, you know, I know you went underground and started doing your things on that circuit, but you had a quote in a book where you said that when you went to clients, they said, I ain't dealing with that black shit. You know, it was like as if there wasn't as much reverence for uh, black products or black, uh, black things, black yeah, goods and well, services. Yeah, but you know what that comes from? That's a result of, uh, that's incumbent upon the, create, the, the, the creatives. I'm one of the creators, right? I have to produce something that would make them want to wear it. Is that why urban brands don't do as well as they used to? Yeah, well, urban brands do. A lot of people look at urban brands and and they don't see what I see. Mm. What urban brand that has come about that was a luxury brand? None. People have aspirations. Mm. Everybody don't want to look walk around looking like everybody else. You understand? So it it it, it bottom out. Mm. And plus it was it was dated. What I mean by dated is they came out with an idea and everybody had that idea, everybody looking around, you know, and it what I did was like when you customize, you constantly, you know, they can't they can't pin you down. You know, you are everybody who you come in contact with. Mm -hmm. So my collaboration was with the customer. So as they change about how they feel I'm changing with them. Mm, Has the customer changed since those days till now? Well, the customers haven't had the ability to change because there's nobody have been there until I came back to give them an opportunity to change because (laughs) what what designers do now, they design from their mind. They come up with ideas and they put it down out there. I didn't do that. I come up with ideas and I said, how do you feel about this? Mm. How do you want to look? And we work together. So now I'm tapping into their energy Mm. And I'm using my energy for mm. us to be creative together. Mm. You know, designers have this like ego thing that they think, well, man, I'm 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 good, man. But no, you're only good <laughs> until people want to wear you. Right. You gotta adapt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So the bottom line is, people gotta feel good with the garment. Mm. With wearing you said the a garment. garment can change everything. It's like, true. Change. It's transformative, man. It's yeah. nothing like. There's it, a power man. in it. Yeah, the power of garment is transformative, man. It, it's like it's new skin. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's new skin because, you know, if you come out of the project, you come out of the ghetto, you put on a fly suit, you go downtown, nobody know where you came from. Right. What your story is, right. what your bank account I looks like. that yeah. first, first hand, you know, because when I was coming up, I was really poor, but right. I got fly and I went somewhere out, and, man, it's so transforming. You feel good about yourself. Yeah. What was it like taking over the World Series of Fashion this year, that Met Gala? Met Gala. A dapper Whoa. dead takeover. <laughs> that was it. You were 21 Savage. Whoa, man, that was it, man. But did you see the variation? Right. Yes. Young, old, you know what I'm saying? Different styles. That was it, man. You know what I mean? That was it. Like, the canvas had everything in it, man. Mm-hmm. So uh, that felt good because not only was I there, I had my own table. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yes. Right. Not a table. seat at the table. My <laughs> own table. table. Yeah, man. There, right. there are people who've been around longer than me, you know, yeah. in, in terms of even while I was underground, didn't even get that, man. So I have, you know, I have Harlem and, and everybody who ever believed in me to thank for that, man, because that was, that's major. Right. Yeah. It's always well, major in hip hop when you get shouted out, you know, from Jay Z to Fat Joe. Yeah. Like, what was, do you remember the first time you got shouted out on a, on a song? Fat Joe even shouts you out in his recent record. He said, uh, Yeah, isn't that something? You, you niggas buying Dapper Dan out the Gucci store. I was in Harlem dripping Dap serving Pookie Raw. And you knew him. <laughs> you knew him at a young age, right? When he was working at a sandwich shop? Yeah, that's, that's right. That's crazy. He's, yeah, he, when he's, yeah, Joe, Joe. I'm, uh, when Joe, Fat Joe started out, 
And he used to come to the store and say, damn, this guy, he knew everything about rap, man. <laughs> Fat Joe like was walking inside of, uh, yeah. inside of Compedia, man. Yeah. No, he is. I, don't, yeah. I haven't met anyone that knows more about the rap game than Fat Joe. Wow. And I'm talking about this from day one, because I used to listen to him when he came into my first tiny store. He knew everything about rap, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you also got a great connection with ASAP Ferg. Like you knew his father. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I used to mentor his father, man. D Ferg. Yeah, uh, D Ferg. Yeah, R. D Ferg. D Ferg was responsible for a lot of the swag. Puff Daddy will tell you. You know, he got his mm -hmm. swag from D Ferg. Mm. Yeah. He designed the Bad Boy logo. That he was designed logo. Bad, yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, he was an amazing young guy, man. I started on the store. I used to let him do T-shirts and stuff like that in the store when he yeah. was a kid, man. What's his son? What's ASAP Ferg like? To, or his son oh too, man, you know? he's like, man, he is. He looks like, like his father too, yeah, right? Yeah, he looks yeah. like his father. He's yeah. amazing, but you know what? He's hungry for knowledge, man. That makes him so important. Yeah, I can't. You can't find guys like that. He sought me out. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. coming out of my house one day, and I said, this car pull up, right? I said, damn. So I'm, I'm on G now. I'm thinking, what's going on here? <laughs> you want to be on G? Yeah. So they, he jumps out of the car, and walks up to me. He said, my father told me all about you. I've been looking for you for two years. Mm -hmm. And we've been together ever since then. You know? That's dope. Yeah, he's amazing. So I tell him all about what it was like, what his father went through, what it was like when I was a kid and everything. Yeah. yeah. And the mentorship extends to Rocky as well, ASAP Rocky. Yeah, ASAP Rocky. I'm, 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 I feel terrible like that. And, and I want to put this message yeah. out. I was locked up in a foreign jail, so I know what it's like. Talked mm. about that in the you book. Know, I did nine months in a foreign jail, but right. it is not a joke. So I'm gonna, all you guys that go on tour, this is my suggestion to you. Whoever is paying for your tour at the venue that you're at, require that they get you security from that city which you are in. Let them be the first local security yes local security because yeah, yeah. they know how to deal with the people there yeah. and then if anything transpires as a result of that you know mm -hmm. that's on them mm. yep it does, it's not going to even cost you that much get security for them because from you that, hit these people that, the, that whole yeah. city and community is going to be against you it doesn't cost money just get their security yeah. they know how to deal with their people there man right. yeah. that's a tragedy man I, I hope you I hope, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned I've been calling every day about that yeah but going back to great relationships Another person that was very loyal to you through the ups and downs was, was Floyd Mayweather. Uh, oh, Floyd is so about loyal, your relationship man. With him. Floyd is so loyal, man. Y'all rappers should never say nothing about Floyd. Floyd, mm. <laughs> I'm serious. When you can get a guy... And you met him through Eric B? That's crazy. That's like, crazy. You realize Eric B was managing Floyd Mayweather back then? I'm saying it again? Eric B was involved with Floyd back then? Floyd Mayweather. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They all yeah. hung out. We're, you know, it's funny thing. It's like Flannery O'Connor, everything that rises must converge. People go to all these venues and stuff, and you get to meet people. You at the parties. They don't even can get in them special parties and stuff mm -hmm. so they get to know each other become friends like that and Eric yeah. B is a credible guy you know he's yeah. a he's a real street guy you got some rappers that are really not street guys yeah. mm -hmm. Eric B and Rakim Jay-Z and yeah. Nas those are real street guys you know yeah. uh, Wu-Tang yeah. you know all them guys that are, I, I can testify that yeah. for them you but know? back to Floyd he, you let him design That's, your trunks yeah, so many, many of his man. fights Floyd right? like he, from for 17 years man 17 everything years. you see him wear in, in the ring man Wow, yeah, that's man. why he was undefeated. You had Dapper Dan, you can't lose, baby. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, Floyd is amazing, man. He's amazing, man. Yeah, he said, we ain't boycotting Gucci. But Floyd was like... <laughs> no, he ain't playing now. He gonna... What? Y'all boycotting? I'll be right back. I'm gonna give me some more Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> what are some things that every man should have in their closet that that it's important, like it's essentials? Let me tell you my approach to gambling. I'm in gambling. I love gambling. Of course. So <laughs> my approach to uh, dressing, we'll right? 
<laughs> to me, um, because I was born and raised in Harlem, I got a lot of different kind of friends. That's what makes Harlem so great, mm. our diversity in here, because like the Latinos here, my Puerto Rican friends here, my Dominican friends here, you know, my African-American friends here, mm -hmm. my West Indian, all of them got little slight different ways they dress. Right. So when, depending on who I hang out with, you know, I switch up a little bit. You know what I'm okay. saying? So I think that people should have diversity in their wardrobe based on what kind of activity takes place in their life. Hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Right. So you, when you get among these people, you feel like one of them. Mm. And they'll feel like you feel like one of them, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I think. I think you should like if if you're a Wall Streeter, you can stay straight with a Wall Streeter, you know what I mean? But mm. I like to be around people that I can like um ID with. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Right. So like on Friday nights I hang out with my Dominican friends uptown, like they, they cutting <laughs> edge. And then on Saturdays I hang out with my my, my my Puerto Rican friends at the La Marqueta and we listen to music and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. Right. That's what made Harlem what it is, man. Right, yeah. I thought every city was like this, man. You know, when I was growing up, we had like Italian, Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. and, you know what I mean, Irish. We had all this, all of us together mm -hmm. in this cultural pot, man. And so I think that's what made Harlem so unique, you know. What you see, the Harlem you see now, you see, uh, it's gentrified, but the gentrification the breakdown, the ethnic breakdown, is close to what it was when I was a kid. Mm. The only difference is that we was poor Italians, poor Irish, mm. poor Puerto Ricans, poor African Americans. Mm. And so we went to schools, the same schools together and stuff like that. So it, it was a difference. We, you, know? mm. you, you know, you meet Italians here, they're not the same as the Italians you find elsewhere. <laughs> right. You know, and Puerto Ricans here, they're not the same. The Dominicans here, they're not the same. There's, there's something that takes place here, mm -hmm. that interaction, that they be like, mm. just like us. But that, what's right. your secret? How you stay so young, man? It's like you found a fountain of youth or something. <laughs> you got the glow, baby. Let me tell you, man. Let me tell you what I did, man. When I turned my life around when I was 23, I read Jeffro Claus. I went looking for that book, Back to Eden. Mm -hmm. That's my family book with all those natural remedies in it. But when I went there, there was a brother in there, man. He looked real spiritual, right? And he had this book. He said, brother, we don't have that. Try this book. And it was called Man's Higher Consciousness, right? By Hilt, Professor Hilton Hortimer. And I started reading that book. And Professor Hilton he said, man, your body's never more than seven years old. He said, every seven years, every cell in your body is replaced. And scientists just confirmed that even the brain regenerates, right? Mm. So I got heavy into that, that carbon cost, another one carbon cost, survival to the 21st century. So what I did, I said, you know what, man? It might take me a time before I can come off. So I started studying metaphysics and science. And I, so I've been a vegetarian for like 45 years. Mm. Wow. You I raised up? my son Jelani a vegetarian. Oh. And you locked up, you said you were a fruititarian? I never heard that one before. No, here's, 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 <laughs> this is how he breaks it down. He says, um, how do we start off? He said, we go from breath breatharian to liquidarian to fruititarian <laughs> to vegetarian to carnivarian to gluttonarian. <laughs> That's how he breaks it down, you know? Yeah. But um, what I really noticed, what really got me open was, uh, I don't know, maybe about 15, 20 years ago, when, I, they, when England and Ireland was having this problem, and these Irish guys was locked up in, in the English jail, mm. and, they, and they refused to eat. These were guys who wasn't even vegetarian. And the average of them without eating last 90 days before their faculties begin to fade. Mm. I say, damn, the body is amazing, right. you know? Yeah. 
But I think the most important thing that I learned from that and what Hilton Holtzman teaches is that you can go like up to 90 days, depending on how you took your care, without eating. You know, if you're lucky, you can go three days without drinking water, mm. you know. Mm. But you can't go five minutes without breathing, you know. So the most important organ in your body is the lungs, right? the breath. You know, when the scriptures start out, they yeah. say, you know, God breathed the breath of life and we became a living soul. So there's something about that, man. And that's what I try to get the young kids. Like I say, remember the first time you puffed on that joint, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I say, you cough, right? And the second time you cough. Then when you start coughing, the body is reacting to the fact that, oh, I got to live with this. Mm -hmm. So it conforms with it, right. it shortens. Speaking of the youth, what, what's your advice to young designers that might be inspired by know your history or see what Virgil's doing? Like, I saw something where you said there's no such thing as ugly. No such thing as ugly. <laughs> ugly is a thing they do to disparage other people. Ugly, only thing that's ugly is the way people act. Mm. In terms of fashion and how people look and things like that, no, there's no such thing as ugly. But if you want to make it in fashion, there's two things that I, that I advocate. One is to master your culture. Mm. Two is to stay abreast of the latest technology associated with making clothes. That's how I did it. Mm -hmm. I understood the culture, read a lot about the culture, talked to the people. Like even now, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't take no, I try not to take limos or none of that. I ride on the train, I ride on the bus, oh, wow. I interact with the people, see how they, they respond to the way I dress and I talk to them. I think it's, I think it's very important to do that. Then other people who appropriate our culture come look at us. How else would they know about mm. it? They come look at us, see how we do things. So we get the first look. So you gotta, if you can translate, that's what we should do. Designers should translate the culture. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what rappers do. Right. The rappers, I mean, some of them lie about it, but they all, <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, right. their all objectives is to reflect on what's happening in the culture. I think that's yeah. what fashion should do also. Do you think, think your background as a journalist, a lot of people don't know that, you know, you have that background. Um, is that, I guess you use that to your advantage when it comes like researching and understanding yeah. what you're doing? Yeah, um, I had, um, when I went back to school, uh, Dr. Guderisi, um, my history, I was a history major because I wanted to know why things happen. Mm. And uh, he said it as well as the black scholar said it, History is the thing that's most qualified for you to know about all subjects. Hmm. There's nothing that you can get involved in that history won't be an asset for, hmm. you know? And the key to history of no matter what it is, is reading. Hmm. And so once I, once I realized that there, I said, I'm gonna read about every, anything that I wanna know, I'm gonna read about it. And I just read my way out of every situation that I've ever been in. Being a student well, of the game. You're yeah. well read and we have your book now to Absolutely. read. Absolutely. Also learn yeah. from, man. Yeah, what man. Are you, before we go, what are you most proud of about the book? The ability for the book to show people, younger people and other people, how far we've come. Mm -hmm. And how important it is for us to read and find out and know our history. That's what this is, mm. you know? This is a, a book about the history of at the bottom. Yeah. You know, what, it, what it's like to be at the bottom yeah. and rise up from the bottom. 
That's what I wanted to conquer do. the world. Yeah. yeah. I felt like I, I got resilience out of it. That's what I Yeah. yeah you you see how you've always overcome every obstacle. Yep. Yeah, every thing. everything. Your journey's been inspiring that way, your resiliency. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like it's just something when you everything I said first thing was dr- drugs. I had the first thing I set out to do, I said when I got out, I said, damn, why did I get high? You know, why did I use grind like why did I get involved with heroin? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go. I went to the uh, County Cullen Library. That's the Schaumburg Library, most important black library. And, you know, I said, I went in there and, and, and studied drugs. And then when I found out the situation that China had, the Boxer Rebellion, I said, oh, this is where it comes from. Mm, yeah. This is how it's happening. Let me tell you something. You could juxtapose everything that China has went through. You know, they had to kick. China had to kick the Europeans out of China. Mm-hmm during the Boxer Rebellion because of the opium wars where they was pushing opium in China. Mm-hmm. They went into a period of isolation for 100 years until Nixon went in there, right? And look at China today. And if we use that as a pattern, we, the Panthers was doing it, the Five Percenters was doing it, the Nation of Islam was doing it. In the early days, we knew that the destructive force that was hurting us in America was drugs. Mm. You have generations. I'm the last generation that saw Harlem when it didn't have a drug epidemic. Wow. It started in the 60s. They don't even know what it is. They don't even know what it's like not to have a drug epidemic. They don't understand how much effect it ha- negative effect it has on our culture. Mm-hmm. Right. People will talk yeah. about guns and all that thing, but it all stems from that drug culture, man. You know? It, 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 Drove us away from spiritual endeavors, man. Everybody, 11 o'clock Sunday morning was America's most prejudiced hour. Everybody in Harlem was going to church. Mm. I get up and say, everybody went to church. Right. You know? Man, so... Uh, but it's great that you're still I, part of this community. Drugs changed the whole culture, man. But right. it's still great that you're part of this community and bringing bring positive, bring yep. positive change yeah, to yeah. it. They never left. And that inspires people. I think if they see the whole story, man... Read that yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how are we going to celebrate when it's tops uh, Times bestsellers list? Because it's yeah. going to happen. Where's the party? What would I, do? <laughs> I probably have a meeting here with all the kids from the block who I've been trying to talk to for a long time. And I'm gonna Get say, some knuckleheads straight. Yeah. yeah. See, I want them to set some they, knuckleheads straight. They'll be able to tell the story better than me, right? Because they, I told it to them on a daily basis. Kids are excited about my and every neighborhood I've been in. Yeah, yeah they're excited about that. You know, we, we appreciate so it's it, it's on them. If I could just change one of them, mm. one like changes the rest. You know, right? I think you're gonna do that, man. Absolutely, we appreciate you, Dab. Your yes, legend. Man, Thank you for taking man. the time, brother. Thank Thank you, man. Thank really, you. man. So this is Jay Z. This is Jay Z's with yes this? title. Jay. <laughs> he says hello. Jay. <laughs> Jay, you got a lot to do with what's happening with me today, man. Mm-hmm. Our story is tied in. I just I must be in your family, man. Beyonce wears my jacket and look what he does for me. Right. You did that video with me and Pee Wee walking through Harlem. You don't even know the story. We gotta sit down and talk about this the story. Life and Times video. Life and yeah, Times was yeah. important. Yeah, man. Jelani was saying that that was yeah, very important. Yeah, that changed so. everything. Man. Yeah. You know, everybody started coming Dapper Dan's out. They had young people thought I was they say, Oh, Dapper Dan is a real person? <laughs> 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 They didn't, oh, yeah, they said we gotta go. So Jay, we gotta talk, man. <laughs> Thank you again, Jay. This must be the start of a new something, a, a new launching for me, man, because you did it. We got a you G it, on man. our chest. We still got Dapper Dan, man. Uh, yeah, wrap up our podcast. Yeah.